Jesus, we desire to trust you because we know you are trustworthy. Father, we, we understand that Christ is the perfect Lord and Savior and King, but we confess that there are seasons and days and moments throughout those days in which it's really hard to trust Jesus. That our flesh, our world, our enemy can come in a moment's notice and just wreck a day, wreck our faith. And so, Lord, we pray that it would please you, Father, to build our faith to trust you more. Lord, to trust you more and more and more until Jesus comes again. And, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are so trustworthy. God, that by your grace, you have shown us a perfect record of faithfulness throughout all of time. And so, Lord, we pray that our hearts would trust you more today and that you'd give us grace as we do. And, Lord, we know we're not the only church family in this town that's gathering in a place like this for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. So we pray for the other churches of this community. Lord, we really want to see your power poured out in our lifetime in a way that would cause the foundations of this community to be shaken for the glory of Christ. We want revival and great awakening, Lord, and only you can provide that. So we pray for the other churches of this community for an outpouring of your Spirit's power like we've never seen before. Specifically today, we pray for Pastor Bob Arthur's Just around the corner, down the street, pastoring Merit Assembly of God and having done so for many years, I pray for Pastor Bob to faithfully and boldly and clearly proclaim the Bible as the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus as our only hope. And may the people of God who are Merit Assembly of God go forward from that meeting filled with your spirit on fire for Jesus, Lord, in a way that would cause your name to be made known, your glory to be seen in this community. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to pick up where we left off last week in our study of Mark by turning to the gospel of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. You know, over the last year or so, there has been a word that has been circulating among our pastors over and over again. And it seems to resonate with basically every single person that we have a conversation with about it. That word is more, more. You see, there's a hunger in every heart for something more, something that isn't satisfied by the experiences that we have at work or at school or our hobbies or the stuff that we're ordering off of Amazon. We want more. There's a hunger that is in all our hearts. And and the reality is it may die down a little bit while we occupy ourselves with work or entertainment, but in all reality, it flares back up when our minds are disengaged as we lie in bed at night or we drive our cars or we mow our lawns or we watch a sunset. It's there in the backdrop of our hearts. We want more. We want more than this. We want more than what we have. We want more than what we are. We want more than what this world has to offer. We want our lives to count, to matter, 
We want something that's more significant than a promotion at work or a championship in our sport or for our political candidate to win the next election. We want something that's real, that's lasting, that won't fade away, that won't be tarnished the morning after it arrives. We want to live for something that's worth dying for, something wonderful and meaningful and long-lasting that if we had to sell our houses and lose our jobs and give our very lives in order to have it, we would gladly make those trades and never look back with regret. We want more. We want more whether we realize it or not. Our hearts have always and will always be hungry for more. We want more. We want Jesus. We want Jesus in his kingdom. He is what our hearts were made for and our hearts will not be satisfied with anything less. Not by our homes, not by our careers, not even by our spouse or our children, not the American dream, not a political party, not a political party, not with these buildings or our broken concepts of church or Christianity. It is Jesus, the real and living Jesus, only Jesus that our hearts are hungry for. He's our king and we were made for his kingdom He is the more that our hearts are hungry for. And that is what is at the heart of this study of the gospel of Mark. Jesus came into this world to give himself to us to be our king. And make a way for us to be a part of his eternal kingdom. And he's calling out over and over again. And we've seen it in this study. Follow me. Leave it all behind. Sell it if you have to. Quit the job if you have to. Leave it all behind. Follow me. I'm the more your heart is hungry for. And that's not just at the heart of the Gospel of Mark. That's at the heartbeat of our text for this morning. You see, Jesus is telling three stories in a row in this section on parables that we began last week. And what you need to know is in these three stories, each story has a point And it's like a little piece of a puzzle that forms a bigger picture when you put those puzzle pieces together. That that puzzle is a, a picture of Jesus and his kingdom and how he works and how life in his kingdom works. And so as we look at these three parables, what I want us to do is look at each little part of the picture that each parable paints. And that's a lot of P's even for a preacher who alliterates. But... What I want you to see is it's not just the point of each parable, but let's put them together and see the bigger, clearer, more important picture that Jesus is painting for us in this. Because it's a picture that Jesus is showing us that promises us the more our hearts are hungry for, more significance, more meaning, more direction, more purpose. More satisfaction, more is what he is giving us in this passage. As a matter of fact, I want to go ahead and give you the big idea that we'll get through these three parables that Jesus gives us. The big idea for this morning is this. The kingdom of God will grow by the power of God's word as Jesus is known and made known by his followers. I'll let you take that in for just a moment. The kingdom of God will grow By the power of God's word as Jesus is known 
and made known by his followers. That is the composite sketch of what we see in these three stories we'll be studying from Jesus this morning. And so what I want us to do is with that big idea in mind, I want to show you how I arrived at that big idea by looking at each one of these three parables. And then I want to show you how that relates to Jesus giving us more and his kingdom being more than anything this world would offer. And since this is the way my mind works, I'm actually going to start at the end and we'll do the last parable first and work our way backwards because the last parable Jesus tells us is the one that shows us the first part of our big idea. So follow with me, look at Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 30 through 32. And he said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Stop right there. Jesus says, okay, my kingdom is comparable to a mustard seed. And for the farmers of Jesus' day, the mustard seed would have been the smallest seed with which they would have been familiar. It's the smallest seed they would have used to plant anything in their garden. So they were familiar with the smallness of a mustard seed. But ironically, it wasn't the smallest thing they would grow in their gardens. It actually would become the largest plant that would normally be had in a Jewish garden. So as a Palestinian farmer would hold that little mustard seed in his hand, he would be struck by the irony That that tiny little seed, the smallest one that he would ever use, would be destined to become something else, something great, the greatest thing that he would ever plant. It was destined to grow into the greatest thing he would ever plant. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is comparable to that. It's destined for something It's destined for greatness, for glory, to grow into all that God has desired it to be. And if you think about it, you can just imagine what it was like for this original band of disciples who followed Jesus in these early days to be a part of what he was describing To to know that he's describing a kingdom, but then look around at who they were and who he was. Like that mustard seed, there may have been times when they felt small and insignificant. I mean, Jesus himself had been born in a manger, not in a castle. He had no wealth. He had no influence when they met him. Those disciples were 12 very ordinary men, largely uneducated and unknown. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about that he inaugurated started with unthinkably humble beginnings. But it's destined for something, Jesus says. Yes, it's humble and small as he looks them in the eyes telling this story. But he says, just like that mustard seed, your farmers are very familiar with this kingdom you're a part of, guys and gals, because there are women around him too. He says it's destined for something. It's destined to be the greatest thing that God has ever planted in the soil of his creation. And that's the point of this parable. The kingdom of God will grow. It will grow. It isn't a doubt. 
It isn't a question mark. It is a destiny. It will grow to become more than this world we now know it is able to contain. It is the more that we are longing for. Listen to Habakkuk 2.14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Guys, there's a day that's coming when we're literally going to be swimming in the glory of God. Sounds pretty good, right? A little bit different than what you're going to step out in at lunch. Matthew 16, 18 says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. Does that sound like he's doubting? Whether it's going to happen. You think he's, he's nervously wondering the future? How's this all going to work out? Do you imagine our Lord like biting his teeth in fear, wondering how's this going to play out? How's it going to end? You know how it's going to end? Let's look at the back of the book, Revelation 21, 1 through 5. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be any mourning or crying, or pain. Some of your hearts say, I want more like that, right? For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How many things is God making new? All All things. Are you in that? You're in all things. He's making all things new, including you. The word of God says that the kingdom Jesus is creating is destined for glory and greatness. And everyone who's part of it is as well. He's making all things new, including you. And you may not know this about pastors, but we live in the same world you live in. We shop in the same stores you shop in. We read the same headlines that you read every week. I hear the same stories that you are carrying into this place this morning. I know about indictments. I know about brokenness. I know about the circus show that is our government. I know the world that you're living in too. And you know what it seems like? You know what it seems like? It seems like darkness is on the rise. And you know what? It is. You know, it seems like evil men are going from bad to worse. And you know what? They are. You know, it seems like this whole world has largely lost its mind and plunged off a moral and spiritual cliff decades ago. And you know what? It has. Righteousness is under attack. And righteous people are experiencing persecution. And can I get a witness? Anybody see what I'm seeing? Anybody know what I know there? Can I let you in on a not-so-little secret? You want to hear a little secret? Do you? Jesus wins. Guys, Jesus wins. If you are part of the kingdom of Jesus, 
Listen to the word of your Lord today. You are on the winning side. He isn't anxious about the future of this world. It is destined for the glory of the Lord. And so is everyone who is part of his kingdom. Do not despair. Do not give in. Do not fear. Do not dread. Jesus wins in the end. He is Lord of all. And destined for glory. And guys, there are a lot of points of application. And I know what you're probably thinking. He's got two more stories to go. (laughs) Here's what this means though, if it's true. It means that if you want your life to count, then your life does want to count. It means if you want your life to be invested into something that's bigger and greater and more glorious... Then all the other things that leave you unsatisfied the morning after, the day you've gotten the promotion and the next day your heart realizes it wasn't what was going to satisfy you. If you want more than what this world has to offer, there's only one way to have it. Follow Jesus and live for his kingdom. Make your life and your home and your family and your career about Jesus Only Jesus and his kingdom, his kingdom is the more that your heart is longing for. It is destined for greatness and nothing else is. So my question for you this morning, is that what your life is all about? Because that might explain the gnawing ache that wakes you up in the morning and tucks you in at night. Because only Jesus and his kingdom offer the more your heart is longing for. Is Christ and his kingdom the thing that defines your marriage, your parenting, your career choices, your financial plan, your retirement, your strategy for how you make friends and how you do friendship? All of those things can become eternally significant if they are part of advancing Christ's kingdom agenda. As you live as though Jesus is your Lord and King in those areas of your life. But hear me on this. None of those things will be eternally satisfying. They will all be a mirage and a charade in the end. They will never fulfill your heart or be the more your heart is longing for unless they are a part of Christ's kingdom agenda where you live those places like Jesus is your king. It is a destiny for his people. His kingdom will grow. That leads me to the second parable from our text. Look at verses 26 through 29, just jumping ahead or back To where Jesus was here, verse 26, it says that Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle. Because harvest has come. Okay, so we know the kingdom will grow. That's the story we just looked at. But connected to it is this. A question. How will the kingdom grow? Well, that's what Jesus is addressing in this story. This parable actually connects the kingdom growth to what we saw last week in the parable of the soils. Where Jesus said that the seed in that way is the word of God that reveals the kingdom truths, the gospel about Jesus. So what's the point of the parable? Well, then... Think right through it. He says a farmer scatters seed. And then what happens next? What happens next? He scatters the seed and then he does what? He, he sleeps. 
That's why pastors take a nap on Sunday afternoons. It's the biblical way to do it, folks. His work is done. That's the point Jesus is making. His work is done. But one morning he wakes up and there the seed is. It's sprouted and it's grown. And Jesus actually doubles down on that reality by saying, and the farmer doesn't know how. He's clueless. How's it work, farmer? I don't know. I was asleep. That's out of my control. So Jesus is highlighting something here. He's saying the growth of the seed isn't because the farmer, the sower, is smart or savvy or hardworking with innovative methods or a really good education. And there's at least one guy in this room who says, praise God for that. And then bring the point home in verse 28, Jesus says this, the earth then produces fruit, notice the phrase, by itself. That phrase by itself is actually translating a word from the original language of the Bible. That word is automate. Automate, that should look familiar. It's the word that we get automatic from. It means on its own. You hear that? On its own. So get what Jesus is saying here. He said, the word of God that reveals the kingdom and gospel truths about Jesus produces fruit on its own. It isn't the result of human effort or intelligence or ingenuity. It isn't because some slick-haired, toothy-grinned televangelist who thinks that he's a late-night talk show host with a funny monologue can deliver a message smoothly and really well-delivered. It's not because of that at all. It's because the Word of God is sufficient To accomplish the work of God apart from human effort. (laughs) That's a good word, guys. And when you put it together with that first parable we discussed, it teaches us something about the truth of the kingdom of God. Namely, the kingdom of God will grow. You saw that, right, in that parable? The kingdom of God will grow by the power of the word of God. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture. How much of scripture? All. Is that the Old Testament? Yeah. Is that the New Testament? Yeah. It's cover to cover. All of it. Word after word. Precept after precept. All scripture is breathed out. Inspired by God. And profitable for teaching. For reproof. For correction. For training in righteousness. Look at this. So that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. The Bible is the word of God. And it's through the work of God's word. That the people of God are equipped. For the life that God desires them to live. Right there in 2 Timothy. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. It says that the the word of God is living. See that? And active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You notice it there? The word of God is alive, it is active, it is at work, it's discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's saying this, when we come to the Bible, whether it's to memorize, to study, to preach, to teach, to hear, to meditate, or read, we aren't working in the Bible as much as the Bible is working in us. Guys, this isn't an ordinary book. This isn't just English literature. 
You come and you work real hard. And sometimes, yeah, it feels like hard work to read the word of God. It's a spiritual discipline. But the reality is when we open the word of God, we aren't working in the Bible. The Bible is working in us. Guys, the word of God is powerful and it is at work all the time in the places it's planted to accomplish the purpose of God in a way that, listen to me, hear this, does not depend on us. Here's what that means. If we want to live for true kingdom growth, then we need to sow the word of God into our lives and the lives of those around us and depend on his power and not our own. Let me give you a couple of applications of that truth. Church, if we want to grow as a true kingdom, gospel, Jesus church, okay, and not some knockoff called a church, we have to be a church Rooted and grounded in the Bible as the word of God. Guys, that's why we preach the Bible the way we do. We go verse by verse, book by book. We preach the most well-known passages of scripture that everyone has seemed to hear. And we preach the ones no one ever seems to read. Because chapter 4 in Mark follows chapter 3. So we just keep plowing. Guess where we're going next? Five. Because we preach the whole counsel of God. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out from God. We don't shy away from cultural topics. But you need to know this. Cultural topics are not the basis of what we say. We don't read the headlines to determine what we'll preach We read the word of God. We preach the word of God. Why? Because only the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God. You guys can build a crowd and so could we as your pastors. We could build a crowd with entertainment and programming and a whole lot of self-help. You know, Disney World is packed today. Oh yeah, it always is. You can build a crowd. On lots of things. But listen church. We need to hear this. You cannot build a kingdom church. On anything. You. Cannot build a kingdom church. God does. And he only builds his church. On the foundation of Jesus Christ. And his holy word. The Bible. That's it. And so, by God's grace, no matter how dark the days may get, no matter how much our culture may pressure us to do otherwise, no matter how popular or unpopular it ever becomes, no matter what it costs us in the future, no matter how hard or heavy the winds and rains may blow against our best efforts to do so, church, I pray by God's grace, we will never ever back away or apologize for boldly preaching to teaching, believing, obeying, loving, singing, and living out the truth of the Bible as God's holy word, no matter what. 
And we used to have hymnals in the backs of the pews. And the only reason we kept them around for the last decade or so was so you could be armed to throw something at anyone who stands in this pulpit and preaches anything other than the Bible as the word of God. But I guess your smartphones will have to do. Anyhow, we cannot be a church of Jesus Christ. We cannot build or see a church built without the power of God through the word of God that declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. But listen, it's good and it is right for us to affirm that as we gather corporately in a body in a gathering like this. But we need to also be confronted with the reality that the commitment for us as a church To be a people of the word of God will not hold strong unless that commitment starts with us as individuals. We won't be a Bible-saturated church unless we as individuals are Bible-saturated people. This church will drift into liberalism, into mainstream cultural Christianity that diminishes the word of God and the truth of the gospel, this church will drift if the people who are this church begin to drift. And we are not individually Bible-saturated, so that means if you want to grow as a kingdom person, what do you have to do? Saturate your personal life in the word of God. Grow in the word of God by sowing the word of God into your life. Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize, meditate on the word of God. Only the word of God is sufficient to produce the work of God in your life. That's for you as parents. Parents, if you want your children to grow as kingdom people, then you cannot outsource this role to Sunday school or VBS or Merritt Island Christian School. Your call is to sow the word of God into the lives of your children today. Read the Bible. Together, do family devotions and pray together, talk about the scriptures, help them see their world through a biblical worldview because only the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God in your children's lives. Friends, if you want your friends to grow as kingdom people, then sow the word of God into their lives, share scripture, study the Bible together, speak the word to one another. Only the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God in their lives. Friday night. We as a family were having dinner together. Uh, My niece, Jamie, is visiting from South Carolina. And after dinner, she was leading out in the conversation. And I was the old man in the room just sitting there listening to the kids as they talked. And you never know what direction a conversation is going to go when a bunch of kids start talking, right? Until Jamie asked this question, hey, guys, what is God showing you in his word lately? She's in her 20s and the oldest one in the room with my girls and kids and those who were around her started asking questions to one another. What are you learning? What's God teaching you? How's that changing your day-to-day life? And I sat there with my old whitening beard <laughs> and I said, yes, Amen. yes, may it be so. Here's what I know. Only the word of God is sufficient to accomplish the work of God in the lives of the people of God. The kingdom of God will grow by the power of God's word. And that leads us to the final parable for this morning. Look at verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp 
brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Stop right there. This parable, I will just confess, is a little bit more difficult to understand or interpret than the other two. But I think we'll get it if we take it just a little bit of a time. Let me just tell you what I'm seeing here. In the first part, I believe what Jesus is saying is that he desires for people to know him and make him known. And in the second part, I believe what he's saying is he's incentivizing people to be careful how they listen to the truth about him so they can get to know him because there's something amazing that happens when you do. Now, let me show you why I say those two things. Verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, people don't go to the trouble of lighting a lamp just to hide it under a basket or put it under a mattress. A lamp isn't lit to be hidden. A lamp is lit to shine light in whatever space it is. You with me so far? Yeah, so you're with Jesus so far. And then in verse 22, he sort of elaborates on that dynamic by saying, nothing is secret except to come to light. What's he talking about? Well, jump back just a few verses to verse 11, and he said this. He said to them, to you, talking about those disciples, those nearest him, to you has been given, what? The secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Okay, so what is he saying is the secret? It's the truth about the kingdom of God. So then what, 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 what would we say is the truth about the kingdom of God? Well, just think about what we've seen so far in Mark. The truth about the kingdom of God that Jesus is shining light into in incremental ways through this portion of his ministry is this. The truth is that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. He's the savior, the one and only one. He's the redeemer. He's the forgiver. He's the son of God. We've seen the light of the truth of the kingdom is the truth of the reality about who who Jesus is as the king of the kingdom of God. So I take the light that Jesus is talking about in this parable to be the light of the truth about Jesus. And if you've been following in this series on Mark, that makes a lot of sense because over and over and over again, we have seen Jesus being careful not to reveal truth too quickly or fully just yet. He keeps telling people, don't tell that I've healed you. Or don't say that I've said this publicly. He's got this secret, in a sense, that he is exposing carefully over time. And the reason we've talked about that being is because Jesus is on a journey to the cross where people are going to despise him and reject him and deny him and kill him. So he isn't making himself fully known in all of his glory just yet. And even the things that display the glory of God most fully even in the life of Christ haven't happened yet, like the cross and the resurrection. Those things have been hidden from view. And so Jesus hasn't made known the light of truth and fullness. In a sense, it's hidden. It's Secret, it's not fully known. So when Jesus is telling this parable, the light of truth about Jesus is hidden from most people around him in those great crowds. But Jesus is saying this, that's not the end goal of his coming. He didn't come into the world to stay hidden any more than someone lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel. No, 
He's going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Sorry, I went down a road. I I got carried away there. VBS is just around the corner. He's going to let the truth be known. As a matter of fact, at the end of his earthly ministry, he will send all of his followers out, including us, on a mission to make the full truth known to the ends of the world that every tribe and tongue and nation might know the full truth of who Jesus is. So ultimately, Jesus is saying he wants people to know him and he wants people to make him known that's why he came our sin may have separated us from God and it truly has that means we are lost and will eternally be separated from God that means we will not know God we will be forever separated from him because of our sin but Jesus came in grace and mercy and unimaginable love To live the life that we failed to live and die the death we should have died. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin at the cross so we could be forgiven and restored to God in a right relationship where we could know him more fully than we would ever be able to imagine as our Father, our Savior, our God. We already read the day will come when he will dwell with us and we with him, and he will be our God and we will be his people. And Jesus didn't just come and live and die. He rose again from the dead so that he could raise us up to an abundant, glorious, eternal life filled with all of the more that our hearts are longing for. That new life of Christ comes when we know and believe the truth about Jesus. We trust him as Savior and King. That's why Jesus came. Are you trusting in Jesus today? It's the only way to know him. He came to be known and by grace offers that gift to you that you would know him and then make him known. And when you put all of those things together in the parables, it gives you the big idea I said at the beginning. The kingdom of God will grow by the power of God's word as Jesus is known and made known by his followers. But I said there was one little thing that Jesus tags on at the end. Look at verses 24 and 25. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see what Jesus says there? He's talking about the light of the truth of who he is, that he desires for you to know him, to live then eternally in his kingdom as his power is at work through his word and a destiny that's great and glorious as part of his kingdom. He says, pay attention to the truth. In other words, don't disregard what I'm saying about knowing me, about following me on my mission. Why? He says, because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be given. What's that mean? He's saying it's truth of the gospel that you're responding to. He says, pay attention for how you measure it will be how it's measured to you. In other words, for those who see the truth of Jesus and his kingdom and measure that as true, they say, "Ah, that's true. And so receive it. They have it and hold it and treasure it. He says that will be measured to you and more will be added. In other words, he will give you more. You see it there? More will be added. You will get more. More of what? More of Jesus. More of his kingdom blessing. More and more. For those who do not receive 
the truth about Jesus, he says, even what they think they have will be taken from them. In other words, they'll have nothing in the end. So, so he's saying those who don't know Jesus through faith in the gospel will lose it all in the end. They'll have nothing to show for their one and only life but everlasting separation from God. Think of that truth for a moment. You will have nothing in the end if you don't trust Jesus today. But for those who do know Jesus through faith, he says they will have something measured. What? More. More and more and more will be added to the point that what? They will get it all in the end. I want to read two verses of scripture as we close that push this point home. Romans chapter 8 verses 16 and 17 says this. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It says, if you are trusting in Jesus, then you are what? A child of God. And if you are a child of God, that makes you a what? An heir of God. What's an heir? It is a child who inherits what belongs to their father. Do you hear that? You are an heir along with Jesus of who? Almighty God. Let me ask you a quick question. Can you guys take a real quick test this morning? All right, I don't care. Just answer this question. What belongs to God? Seriously? You are scheduled to inherit whatever belongs to God. And you just said he owns everything. What's that mean about you? It means that you are the recipient by God's grace, destined one day to inherit everything that belongs to God. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23 says this, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Look at this. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Friend, if you will trust in Jesus and follow him in his mission, knowing him and making him known through the word of his gospel, through faith in him, you will inherit everything that belongs to God. All things will be yours. That's God's kingdom destiny for followers of Jesus. And that is why our hearts aren't satisfied yet. Because we were made for more. More than this world can offer. More than this world is giving us. Now, more than this world. And our hearts will not be completely satisfied until a day that is coming when we stand in glory beholding Jesus face to face and being held by the one who loved us and gave his life for us. And on that day, we will hold and be held by the more our hearts are hungry for. You know what we call that? Good news. Gospel. That's what we were made for. That's what your heart is hungry for, whether you've known it or not. So my prayer for you today is this. Church, friend, please 
Do not settle for less. That's why your careers and your cars and your houses and your earthly pleasures and treasures aren't fulfilling your heart completely. You were made for more. You were made for Jesus. You were made for his mission. You were made for his kingdom. And you will never be satisfied for one single moment and would enter eternity separated from him unless you trust in Jesus Christ through faith. You are made for more. To be part of God's great and glorious kingdom on a single-minded mission to know Jesus and to make Him known. And there may be a day where it will cost you your job and your home and your comfort and your convenience and your version of the American dream. And I've got news for you. It will be worth it all when you see Jesus. You were made for more. And your heart won't be satisfied until you behold him face to face. So don't settle for less. Never settle for less. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to ask you the question do you know Jesus? You know, Jesus, has there come a place in time where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Deep in your heart, you may know you want more. You would confess that nothing you've pursued has satisfied you because only Jesus can and will. Would you today, right now, in this moment, would you call on Jesus? Acknowledge your sin that you've Sinned against God, you've broken his design for your life. By faith, confess that you believe Jesus came. And in his life, he lived a perfect life in your place and died as a sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sin. To call on Jesus to forgive you and by faith, acknowledge Jesus to be your king. Say, Jesus trust you as Lord and I desire to follow you as king and I'm trusting in your power not my own to fill my heart to give me strength to make me all you've called me to be just call on Jesus for those of you who'd say I know Jesus I've placed my faith and trust in him would you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal whether or not you are living to know Jesus day in and day out, are you living to know Jesus? And are you living to make him known? There may be someone in your life today that God's calling you to prayerfully seek to share the gospel with. Even this week, would you ask Jesus to lead you in that? That you'd follow him on a mission to that person. Show them the love and grace and tell them the gospel of Jesus. Father, our hearts are hungry Lord, every experience that we've had, no matter how great, no matter how wonderful, no matter how exciting and invigorating and thrilling that it ever has been, Lord, none of the experiences of our life have left us full and satisfied. We wake up hungry the next day. 
And Lord, that's a reminder that we were made for more than those things. And we were made for more than this world. And Lord, I ask that you would build in our hearts something that would make our hearts beat fast. And I pray that something would be someone whose name is Jesus. So Lord, I pray that by your grace and through the power of your word, you would build each of us as kingdom people living on a mission to follow our King, whose name is Jesus, until Jesus comes again and we see him face to face. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.